Hi, I'm Adrian Maidman from the podcast I'm Also, where I talk to people with multiple careers, pursuits, and interests. This episode is, however, different. It's taken from the filming I carried out on behalf of the Cambodia Charitable Trust fundraiser, NZ and the World After the Pandemic. Speakers on the evening were Helen Clark and Teresa Gadding. Denise Arnold, founder and director of the Cambodia Charitable Trust, is the MC. Sponsors of the event were Craig's Investment Partners and Zespri International. This particular episode features a speech given by Teresa Gadding. To find out more about the Cambodia Charitable Trust, go to their website cctnz.org.nz. And so we made a big, bold call quite early in lockdown one to 
fund another big warehouse in Auckland. And at that point, we didn't know, A, how long lockdown would be, and two, whether after lockdown, all the new customers would go back to doing their own cooking. So we funded a new warehouse. Well, what happened post-lockdown is that the customers, having experienced it for, I don't know, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, said to themselves, gosh, this works quite well. Even when the fear of going to the supermarket stopped, you've still got the hassle, particularly if you live in a big city. But I must say, sometimes when I've been caught in traffic coming down Cameron Road, it seems to me that it isn't just Auckland where it can be an inconvenience to have to go from shop to shop. The technical phrase is that the demand curve shifted permanently upwards. So we have grown that business extraordinarily, as have the other milk companies, over this year. We are now on a much higher revenue trajectory than we were back in January. So some people are never going to become my feedback customers, that's perfectly okay. But some people have found actually this new way that I didn't think I even needed is actually better than what I and my family were doing before. Another business that I've observed over the years in the financial sector, Sharesies, another, another business started by two young female entrepreneurs. It was all about demystifying money and making it possible for anybody, I'm going to come back to this theme, anybody to invest in shares, even if they just had a small amount of money and were really, really didn't want to go near brokers, didn't understand how that all worked, do it online. Same thing has happened in the last few months. Just gone gangbusters. Kerry Nathan, another friend of mine, a female entrepreneur, a Māori woman with her own fashion label, who actually took the first Kahu Collective, the first hikoi, fashion hikoi to China of Māori designers. She's just got a new tech startup. And I actually commissioned a dress from her over lockdown in a fairly clunky sort of way. I zoomed her and we talked about it and she showed me the fabrics and, you know, I took my own measurements at Waihi Beach and she, she got the garments made for me. But her, new te, her new fashion tech startup is actually going to have a 3D body scanner. You know what it's like when you order clothes online and you see the skinny size 8 model with the wearing the dresses? And you go, hmm, and in your mind you sort of think, well, maybe it will look like that on me, but actually it turns up and it does. <laughs> well, with a 3D body scanner, if you can figure out how it really is going to look on you before you order it. So online, the online economy will gradually solve all the problems that the physical economy presents. Because my food bank is still a mixture of online and physical. You still got to be home at some point in the delivery time to put the food in the fridge. Someone has to be there. You can't leave it outside. So it's, it's not quite the weightless economy as Helen talked about, those on the spectrum. Something that is the, waitress, the weightless economy is my most recent business, Tend, which probably you haven't heard of yet because it only launched 10 days ago. Who has heard of it? <laughs> ah, well done. So, look, we've been working on this for two years. Just in case anyone would say, gosh, they thought about this in January and said, let's get going. It would be impossible to have done this any faster than we've done it. What TEN does is it's primary health care over your phone. Primary health care 
over video conference. It's an app, you download the TEND app, you go online, you make an appointment for a doctor. We also have a clinic, we started in Auckland, we have a clinic in Auckland as well, so if you need to come into a clinic, you can. But primarily, it's about making healthcare accessible to everybody. So we're about to launch a Tereo version. We already employ 20 doctors. Our vision is to employ hundreds in every language, women working part-time from home, making it so flexible. Because, you know, you don't just get sick between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. when your GPs are open, do you? What about the evenings and the weekends? We've got Kiwi doctors overseas who want to be part of, it, part of this. We've got Kiwis living overseas who want to use it. It completely transforms the way that we'll interact in the future. And it's just the start. It's new in New Zealand. It's not new overseas. There are some quite big companies doing this overseas very successfully. Now, late last year, research, when, when people were asked, would you use healthcare like this? Would you have a consultation with a doctor online? 10% of people said they would. Do you know what that number was after lockdown one? 76%. So it's become a thing almost overnight. It would have happened eventually, but the experience of COVID has actually really thrown into stark relief a whole lot of things, as Helen mentioned, and one of those is really how fragmented and how clunky and how uncustomer-oriented our health system is. Look, I can remember probably a conversation that Helen now would not remember that we had many years ago when she was Prime Minister and I was running telecom and the internet was a new thing. Many of the audience will be too young to know that, but some of you in your 50s and 60s will identify with us saying it was a new thing then. And we all thought, politicians and business people, that health would be one of the early uses for telemedicine, one of the early uses of the internet. It seems so obvious, the tyranny of distance conquered. But it hasn't been. Little did we know that dating would be way ahead of the pack. <laughs> on any list about, you know, how the internet might change our lives. <laughs> Banking was on the list, but probably it's really accelerating now. It's quite hard now to interact with your bank if you're not prepared to do it over the internet. I was watching um, TV yesterday morning and Francis Valentine of the Mind Lab was on and she was talking about side hustles. People who during lockdown started online businesses. Now side hustles of course can become main hustles in due course, but really what the internet means is that anybody can start a business from their bedroom. You don't need infrastructure other than a, a damn good internet connection. The second trend I've called we are all in this together with emphasis on the we. Truly, I've been so proud to be a Kiwi this year. And we did act with unity. We did 
think about what was best for each other, for our families. I did lockdown at Waihi Beach, next to my parents who lived there. My father was terminally ill. And it was, it was really wonderful, actually, to see how that was taken seriously about, look, you can't come and see mum and dad at the moment. It's just not, you just can't. And to, as a nation, basically go, we're going to give this a really good crack. Yes, there were things that could have been done differently, but at the end of the day, we did embody doing it together. And that feeling of we has continued. We have just elected the most radically diverse government New Zealand's ever seen. We have now got a cabinet that most reflects New Zealand than any cabinet we've had to date. And what I see the we now being is actually a coming together of trends. The, the technical term for this is intersectionality. You know, it's the feminist movement of the last few decades. It's the Māori renaissance of the last few decades. It's the pride of the gay pride movement of the last few decades and now that shift into gender fluidity. It's all of us standing in our own power with our own voice, creating and co-creating the country we want. I see this in something that I'm very involved with, CEO, which I brought to New Zealand from Canada. And CEO, some of you might be part of it, some of you could be activators, is a collaborative model where women come together to financially, but with small amounts of money, support early stage entrepreneurs with interest-free loans and with mentoring, with, with all sorts of support. Now, when I started this in New Zealand a few years ago, interest-free loans were like, why would you do that? But now, it's a thing, right? Because you don't get much interest on your money these days. We lend it to the bank for, you know, 0.5%. That, I thought, would stop as soon as we got to lockdown. I thought, I can't campaign. I'm not going to ask people for money in this environment. We just started doing weekly calls with the people who were already involved. And the momentum expanded exponentially. And the huge benefit for me, and also the huge learning, was that it was no longer my energy driving it along. It actually was the woman. There were about 50 of us on these calls every week. There's 600 women activated at that point. About 50 were deeply involved, deeply engaged. And we then went on to do another successful round this year, a third successful round of funding early stage female ventures. Women still only get a few percent of all the funding, venture capital funding in the world. But New Zealand is right on the cusp of an ecosystem that has changed remarkably in the last few years. And COVID hasn't slowed it down, it's speeding it up. Right at that start of lockdown, when I thought we might have to pause Shio for a year, Archangels had, at the end of 19, launched a fund that would invest only in female founders. And they had not completed their raise. They were only about halfway through their raise when lockdown came. And they also thought, gosh, 
you know, we're going to have to stop. But they didn't. They, they paused, and then they just watched as the money came in, and then, after lockdown, closed that round out at well over the two million they were targeting. And the most inspiring thing for me is that 40% of the investors in that fund are men. So I'm a feminist, and I'm all about supporting women, not because I think women are superior to men, but because I think the energy in the world is out of balance. And when the energy in the world is completely in balance, the masculine and the feminine are completely in balance, the world will be a much healthier place than it is today. And that has to start with us balancing the masculine and the feminine in ourselves. And that is where the third trend comes in, which is, I, I haven't really got a, 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 a good two words for this. It's about, links back to that point, what's worth going back to. It's about banishing the cult of busyness. It's about what lockdown did. And indeed, perhaps even now, the, the fact that we're still in a water pandemic and no one's travelling overseas. It's the re-emergence of the importance of rest and quiet cultivation of the mind, the body, the spirit and the land. It's like lockdown was the universal wagging of the finger, I'm sending you all to your rooms to have a really good think about things. <laughs> and I see that in other businesses too, another business I'm involved with, Better Packaging. It brings together total sustainability. The packaging is bio, bio it's combustible in 30 days, but it's beautiful, it's design-led. Things shift when things come together. That never used to be a thing. You know, you've got a spare room, the internet, suddenly, hey, Airbnb is born. And recycling of things like that used to be seen as fringe, and they used to be seen as a bit clunky. But Better Packaging's products are beautiful. They're beautiful and they're good for the earth. This idea of how we are interacting with a natural environment really links to the whole idea of are we in right relationship, which is a way of thinking that many indigenous peoples in the world have. Are we in right relationship with each other? Are we in right relationship with the sources of our food? Are we in right relationship with the environment? Are we in right relationship in terms of how we earn our income? Are we in right relationship with how we spend and use our wealth? That, that genie can't be put back in the bottle. Once you've had a chance to pause, and if we can get ourselves into a national reset conversation, thank you for that phrase, Helen, I really like that phrase. <laughs> New Zealand could be amazing, world leading. Did anyone see on TV a couple of days ago, Paddy Gower, isn't he wonderful? I just adore Paddy Gower. <laughs> he poked a microphone under Nancy Pelosi's nose, she had the mask on, and he said, hey, I'm from New Zealand, what have you got to say? And she said, she basically said, you guys are amazing, Jacinda is amazing, like the world is in awe of you. 
And I get that from my American friends all the time. So never think that we can't lead the global conversation about the reset. Now my fifth trend, no sorry, my fourth trend, I haven't done three. My fourth trend is home is where the heart is. As I already mentioned, I did lockdown at Waihe Beach because if, if Dad took a turn for the worse, I wouldn't be able to leave Auckland. And I was actually at the beach when the announcement came, so I stayed there. In lockdown, there was no construction. Literally the minute we came out of lockdown four, it was hard to hear the bird song. There was so much. People going off and fixing their houses and doing up their batches and people redoing things and this amazing um, working on the home and seeing it as a haven and seeing it as a, as a place to actually spend time in. I had used to have a life in which I would, you know, for many years, a home was a plane because I was always going somewhere, I was always flying somewhere. And yes, I like my homes. I've got a home in Auckland and a home at Waihe Beach and I have had for a long time. Yes, I like my homes, but really, real life for me was out in the world with people and, you know, going off to Melbourne and... Less about that, the better, probably. <laughs> going off to Melbourne and going off overseas and flying all around New Zealand and... Then that all stopped. And you really did appreciate some of the things, or I did appreciate some of the things I'd taken for granted before. And quite a few people I know actually admitted they actually quite enjoyed the lockdown. I wouldn't go that far. You know, I, I prefer the balance I've got now, which is less busy than I used to be, but still is able to move around freely. But the focus on home, the focus on home, buying a bigger house, buying a house at the beach, doing your house up. I knew that, that would be a trend post-COVID with people having in, being in their homes that much. And all of that, of course, grows the economy. It's all domestic consumption. The fourth trend I've called the new experience of work. You, you might remember, some of you who follow the economic news, that about two or three weeks into the first lockdown, the official forecast came out that our best case employment scenario would be 10% unemployment rate. I never believed that, never for a moment, and it's not, we're going to do way better than that. I mean, of course, even 4 or 5% is bad and we haven't had it that high for a long time, but I knew it wouldn't be 10% because that completely discards the ingenuity of people. I watched people pivot their businesses in the four weeks or the five weeks of lockdown one. I watched a business who consulted in person, in meeting rooms in Auckland or Wellington or Christchurch, how to facilitate you know, better group outcomes of executive teams. All their bookings for the year went, of course. By the end of lockdown one, they had pivoted and they were charging clients for how to consult and have meetings online. <laughs> they pivoted that fast and they had big clients on board. So they had, you know, a, a dip of a few weeks they were going again. Trilise Cooper, my favourite fashion designer in New Zealand, and 
she once a year has a great big sale in her workroom. Actually, her samples were shown, were stolen recently. Some of you will have read about that, but it's a huge room and lying place. And once a year, they have a big sale, great clear out, and you can't get there for the queues and all the rest of it. So she couldn't have that. Lockdown three, she decided to put those clothes online. I went online immediately, I had to see it. I was like, really wanted to buy because I hadn't bought anything for like five weeks. <laughs> so I went online, I ordered a few things, I went off to do some work, I came back four hours later, it was jammed, the site was jammed, you couldn't get on. <laughs> Rang my assistant, I said, please order these for me. She said, I can't, they're all gone. That ended up being sensational for her. Who knew, who knew that if you put it online, people would order it online and trust they could send it back if it didn't work. So I just watched businesses pivot through that period. You, to do that though, you've got to give up the myth of control. We all like to believe that we control more in our lives than we actually do. Now I'm not a parent, so it's probably taken me a bit longer than some of you to figure that out. But you don't control everything. You're only ever co-creating. Intention's really powerful, but it's not the whole thing. The, the new experience of work, AIA, I chair AIA Australia and New Zealand. And in New Zealand, our head office is in Takapuna, big six-story building. Here we are, life's all normal again, except, you know, borders are closed. M most of the staff, are working in that office one or two one or two days a week, the rest of the time from home, because that's what they want and productivity hasn't suffered. We did the biggest IT integration we've ever done when we brought together the old sovereign systems and the AIA systems on the last week of level four lockdown, completely seamlessly. That's what you call a weightless economy. And so, I don't know about any of you commercial property landlords, but I think you've got a tough road ahead because we don't need six floors in that building. And we're not the only company, large company in New Zealand that will be thinking like that. Okay, so that's my five trends. I feel like I better hurry up. So here's the paradox. The paradox is that we are seeing the rise and rise of female leadership. It's not just the leaders, the female leaders of countries like New Zealand and Taiwan that have done so well managing the virus. Look at the states of Australia. Look at how well New South Wales and Queensland performed with female premiers against Melbourne, <laughs> against Victoria, yes. There was a rise of female leadership in New Zealand prior to COVID. Some of you will know that as of now, the three largest iwi in New Zealand are run by Māori women. The CEO is a woman. I do think that Helen and I were a catalyst for that and nothing gave me greater pleasure in the election campaign than watching Jacinda and Judith on TV both saying they were definitely feminists and wanted to honour Kate Shepherd. Except there's a missing, and the missing is it was never just about Kate Shepherd, was it? It was also about Mary Tetai Matakahia, the Maori suffragist, 
who actually saw that it wasn't just about women getting the vote, it was about women being able to stand in Parliament, and that it was about property rights as well. It was way more than just getting the vote. But still, suffrage is still something to be celebrated and thought about because on that day when the vote was given to women, despite perhaps Seddon as a very sexist Prime Minister, it wasn't just white women who got the vote, it wasn't just colonial women, it was all women, Māori women, white women. There's not many countries around the world where that happened. To me, that's another example of we the way that is embedded deep in the DNA of New Zealand. And yet, and here's the paradox, we still have many gendered issues. Domestic violence went through the roof in lockdown. Domestic violence is New Zealand's secret and perhaps not so secret shame. And there are many breakthrough programs to deal with it. Gandhi Nevis, the breakthrough idea there is instead of taking the woman out of the home with the, the children away from their friends in schools, take the man out of the home and wrap counselling around him and the family. So there are lots of breakthrough ideas to how to deal with this, but as a country, we have to say enough is enough. Because if we don't say enough is enough, we won't prioritise it. And while women and kids are getting bashed in their homes, we cannot say that we are actually utilising all the resources and that New Zealand is a great place for all of us to live. So, in summary, I'm actually really excited. I'm pleased that I've been grounded in New Zealand, and I expect to be grounded here next year as well. And I'm really excited about everything that's emerging. And I guess my final message for all of you here tonight would be, <clears throat> never think that your voice is too small, it doesn't count. Look, even in America, 300 million people, every vote counts. And those key battleground states, as they're called, every vote counts. In New Zealand, every person counts. And it's so easy to use your voice. So many different platforms. So you're here tonight, I hope, because you support the Cambodia Charitable Trust and the wonderful work Denise is doing. Let your heart guide you to what you do in your work and your charitable giving. And then, it has a multiplying effect. It has been a great joy in my life to be involved with this trust for the last 10 years. Cambodians are a most wonderful people. And Denise and I believe that we will change the educational outcome for this generation of Cambodian children in our lifetime. Thank you all very much. And I'm